0: RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Why can't the Saints just have a normal ho-hum sort of bye week is what I've been thinking all week long. Here they are, 3-2, but so much drama around this franchise Michael Thomas feuding with teammates being upset about being disciplined by his head coach in the franchise the offense still looking a little off the defense still needing work oh and now on top of it Mayor Cantrell from New Orleans is recommending that yeah go ahead and go play your home games in Baton Rouge basically calling the Saints bluff we're going to talk all about that. The state of the Saints here as they're on their bye week this weekend with my good friend. He's part of one of the best Saints podcasts out there. It's the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Co-host himself joining us here on the Rap Game podcast. The one and only Andrew Juge. Andrew, good day to you, sir. Oh, man. Let's just start off. Why can't the Saints just be, you know, chilled out on the bye week? Why why does it have to be a busy bye week for the, the Saints?
1: Well, Raymond, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm a big fan, as you know, and uh, it, it's nice for a change to be on an actual real podcast, a serious one. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, th- thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, and listen up. I, I try to pump my, my sources inside the locker room and it, it, they cover the team as much as I can. And, you know, one said it so perfectly, which was basically, how could this be a safe season without – Drama and and, and you know, something unexpected happening.
0: So that's fair. Uh,
1: you know, you know, in some well, in some ways, par for the course. But yeah, you know, ideally, you want to go into your bye week feeling like you're in a good state of mind. Uh, that it's a good time to kind of recover from injuries, and that you're poised on the other side of it uh, to make a run. And, and you know, I personally have never been a fan of a bye week happening this early in the season. You know, I've always been a guy. that's like you can push it back to week eight. You know, where you get a little closer to midseason, where you can kind of assess what you need and what you need to do to get ready for that playoff run. And right now, the Saints are just three and two, and they're in a three-way tie for first place. And we don't really know what Carolina is. Uh, we know we think Tampa's pretty good, uh, but they've been a little up and down. And so there's a lot of questions, and certainly there's a lot of questions surrounding the Saints. Um, but you know, in some ways, I, I feel like a little time away from each other to reflect. Um, because this team is so talented and ultimately they want to win a Super Bowl. That, that, that's what I keep going back to is based on their talent, based on the goals of the individual players, of the, of the goals of the team collectively, they're playing for something bigger than themselves. And I, I think maybe some time away is going to help them see that more clearly. They are pretty banged up so I do think it comes at a good time at least just in terms of healing. And I'm really interested to see what kind of football team, what kind of engagement we get from them on the field coming out of this.
0: So basically they need some time away to, to kind of refocus and, and take everything to the next level. Is is that the uh, philosophy you and Ralph do with the uh, Saints Happy Hour podcast, brother?
1: <laughs> I wish, man. We're titled we're, uh, to the metal every week. So <laughs> I, I, I wish I could get a break from Ralph, but uh, I mean he's calling me or texting me pretty much daily, uh, obsessing, with hot takes on the saints. And so I kind of have to put up with his, uh, you know, his, his just off the cuff ideas, but uh, no, man, it's, it's fun. And, you know, I, I'm sure you feel like this on some level. I mean, we, we feel so fortunate and, and we find it so fun to be able to do this. And you know, it's a labor of love. We probably do it for free, uh, but, but fortunately we have sponsors and patrons that are kind enough to support us. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we'll keep doing it as long as people listen.
0: Let's, Start talking about, you know, Michael Thomas. Look, this is a guy who's always played with emotion, right? This is nothing new. He's he's a fiery guy, and that's helped him become one of the top three wide receivers in the NFL. He's an all-pro. He's the $100 million man. So I'm not surprised to see that he's still a a little upset about getting into his second fisticuffs with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, especially with reports coming out that Chauncey, uh, by all reports, got the better of, of Mike, and he may be a little embarrassed by that. But the suspension uh, is not technically a suspension, right? They, they fined him and kept him out of the Monday night football game. Do you believe that this is just compacted, Andrew, because the fact that Mike's been hurt and he hasn't been able to play and he hasn't been able to, to scratch that competitive itch, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it's a huge part of it. Um, you know, I, I asked a couple uh, sources uh, from within the team, uh, you know, and the way I phrased it was, how worried are you about this whole Michael Thomas deal on a scale of one to 10? Um, and the first one wrote me back and said, well, under this hypothetical, are they winning? And uh, I said, okay, let's, let's assume they are winning. And the response was my level of concern is a one out of 10. And then I said, okay, what about if they're not winning? And the response was, okay, it's a, it's a seven or an eight. Um, and you know the other the other source, you know his, his response. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, you are. He's colorful. Okay, so you know the other response was, you know, Michael Thomas has always been a dick, uh, but but he's our dick, you know. And so I, I think it's one, you know, the, the the sentiment there that was kind of communicated to me was this is nothing new. This is not some revolutionary thing where like all of a sudden this personality, this side of Michael Thomas has been unveiled for all to see, and it's, completely blindsided the Saints. They know who he is. He, he's, a, he's a highly emotional, highly competitive guy. Um, you know, from what I understand, Michael Thomas doesn't have a ton of personal relationships. He doesn't have, you know, the, these outlets outside of football. Like he really is 100% all the time focused on football. His life is focused around getting as fit, eating as healthy, as priming himself to be as good as he can be, He goes to practice. He goes at 110%. He goes home, and he goes on Twitter and social media, and he reads all these negative comments about him to fire himself up. He jabs back at people. He wakes up, and he does it all over again. That's his life. And so when you think about a guy like that, and there's been the comparisons to Michael Jordan, and obviously the Saints haven't won a championship, multiple championships with him, but when I'm just talking about the mentality of the athlete, and how he's wired, I think the comparison is pretty apt, and I've heard that from a lot of people. Um, and so he, he, he's hard to get close to, and I just think he's one of those guys where take him off the football field, he can't play because of his injury. And I just think he's going a little stir-crazy, and I think it's really, really frustrating for a guy like that because his life and his whole world revolves around being on the field producing at a high level.
0: Let's talk more about on the field and what what we've seen here through 5 games Andrew they're 3 and 2 and you and I've talked about this that but they don't feel like a team with a winning record they don't feel like the Saints that we've grown accustomed to that the team that's won 3 straight NFC South championships and that has won 13 games they they feel more like an 8 and 8 9 and 7 like they did their training camp at the Greenbrier kind of team more <laughs> than more than a Super Bowl contender Um, is that the feeling that you you get about this team, and is that something that can quickly be changed in a matter of a few games?
1: I think it can be changed, absolutely, Uh, because you've seen glimpses of it. You've seen Breeze for stretches play like the Breeze we know, and especially if you look at the most recent game against the Chargers. My God, I mean, he he was awesome in the two-minute drill. If you look at how he played right before halftime when he brings the team down, they score a touchdown, and that's that's throwing the script out, right? That's that's there's no.
0: That's right. That's there's, Drew there's, calling his own plays, not Sean Payton calling the plays. That's right, and the yep. offense looks amazing when they let Drew call the plays and not Sean. I'd like to point that out.
1: Yeah. Yep. So you know, this is really just him kind of doing his thing and commanding just plays here and there and, and, and playing a little bit more natural. Um, but you know, the two minute drill they go and they score before halftime, and then with the game on the line. Uh, You see him orchestrate a perfect drive all the way down the field. And then, of course, you know, it ends with the and Hill touchdown run. But he got him to that point. That ties the football game. And then in overtime, uh, he he comes back down and uh, leads them to a field goal, which, you know, easily could have been a touchdown. But I I just thought that when the stakes were the highest in two-minute drill, that's when Drew looked his best. So you've seen him kind of showcase his skill set. The offensive line, to me, hasn't played their best. They've been up and down. There's been moments uh alvin Kamara has looked amazing cam jordan has had moments demario davis has had moments latimore has had moments you know he had the big tackle to win a game against the Chargers. but to me they're they're just not playing at their peak level and so i think maybe covid lack of practice i mean those are all things to blame if you look at the defense i think a lot of fans are upset about the defense but if you're into betting you know that the overs are covering it like over 56%.
0: And the, over, the
1: over-unders the each week keep going up because Vegas and you know the betting companies are trying to catch up with these high point totals, and, and they're still covering. And it's, it's not getting high, and it hasn't caught up yet. And so I just think the defenses are really far behind, um, and it's hard when you're not tackling as much at practice and you're not working on technique stuff as much. And I think it hurts the defense more than it hurts the offense. So – it's not a Saints issue. I think it's a league-wide issue in terms of that side of the ball. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's going to be interesting to see because there is kind of this locker room question mark right now. And I, I don't even think it's just Michael Thomas. I think it dates back to the things that Breeze said, the reaction of his teammates, the apology, uh, how some maybe didn't accept it, whereas some were maybe frustrated with Drew that he apologized at all. So there's that, that whole turmoil... Combined with the Michael Thomas stuff, to me, th- this, it's not that there's a problem in this locker room, it's that it's fragile. And I think you win, all problems go away. You lose, people start pointing fingers. That's a story as old as time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just think this locker room is a little bit more fragile. So I just think, yes, there is an opportunity to get to, back to your question. I think there's an opportunity for this team to be really good. But because they're fragile, I think they have to come out of the bye week firing on all cylinders. If they don't, I start to
0: get pretty worried. And the the state of the locker room, I've picked up on that as well, Andrew. And for me, you know, there was an idea briefly floated around about, you know, helping shore up the secondary, bring in someone like Earl Thomas, who has had his issues at at his last stop. And I said, any other year, if you would have asked me that before the start of the season, do you think the Saints could absorb someone like Earl Thomas? I'd be like, yeah, I think the locker room is strong enough. You got Cam, you got DeMario Davis, you've already added Malcolm Jenkins, you got Drew and all this other stuff. But as it stands right now, I don't think they could handle bringing in a big personality that they would need to put in check because there is something off about this team, the feel of this team, the locker room. It does not feel like a cohesive Team. And I know they all said the right things, Andrew, about Drew's apology, and Demario Davis went on, I think GMA and was like, Oh yeah, we're good. It's it's all good now. I don't think it is. I think there's some remnants of that from the summer and then Michael yeah. Thomas and the fact that they've had some injury issues and, and stuff like that. And you know, and look, here's the other thing that we haven't talked about. COVID has made everyone stressed, right? You and I have been stressed by COVID. It, it, to expect that it's not the same thing in a locker room is is naive, and I think that's also playing a role in this as well.
1: Well, I'm stressed out anytime I talk to you, Raymond. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: um, Thank you, Andrew. but no, I,
1: I, I do I do think that COVID kind of. I mean, we we've just seen it with uh, with with the protests and everything. I and not that you know, I'm not trying to diminish the, the importance and, and the legitimacy of those, but I think there's a reason why that happened in, in this time in history. It's that. People were quarantined, and, you know, I think there's just heightened awareness and heightened stress around important issues in general. We're seeing that in, in society, and, and I think it's true at every level, you know. And so, yes, if families, parents are more stressed than they normally would be, and I think it's true of a football team too. You know, they, they have families. You know, they're, they're probably seeing their family. You don't see your family a lot during football season. You probably see them even less right now because of the precautions that you have to take, so I do think it's more stressful on everyone, and you know, so I think that's a great point, um, but I still think the Saints are a solid locker room. I, I agree with your comments about Earl Thomas. I, I would I would put it like this. Think about since Sean Payton has started with the Saints in 2006. I can think of P.J. Williams a couple of years ago getting a, a one-game suspension. I can think of Kyrie Robinson off the top of my head, but how many players has Sean Payton suspended in season that missed a game for disciplinary reasons? I, I can count them on one hand, and I, I can only think of two off the top of my head. So, for the offensive player of the year to get suspended by Sean Payton, this isn't. Some, this is a player-friendly coach for the most part. This isn't a coach.
0: no oh, absolutely. That, yeah.
1: That has a no-nonsense. Type. This isn't. I mean, he, he's different from Bill Parcells. He's different from some of these other. No nonsense coaches, in the sense that he's pretty player friendly and he, he likes to keep his guys happy. And I I just think this is not this, this is significant that he would suspend a guy like Michael Thomas. And so for him to be out for a game, it, it, it's borderline unprecedented since he's been with the team since 2006. So if alarm bells aren't going off, if you're someone that's saying, "Yeah, this isn't that big of a deal," I I, I would be concerned. Now again, I just go back to if he gets on the field he starts producing and the team's winning, it's just not going to be a problem. They're going to figure out a way to make it work from a personality standpoint. But I do get concerned from the standpoint that this is unprecedented, and it's got to be pretty significant for the coach to feel like he needs to send a message to the team. I'm drawing a line here that even behaviors by – if this behavior happens to our best player and make no mistake right now, Michael Thomas is the best player on the roster, then I'm going to suspend him.
0: Andrew, let's talk about what the offense has looked like without him. Emmanuel Sanders is finally starting to come on. It took a while for him and Drew to get that rapport. Even the offseason workouts still kind of put them behind the eight ball. And Sanders has really come on strong. And another guy, even though he didn't have a monster game on Monday Night Football, traquan smith finally started emerging how big is that to have those two other wide receivers number two and number three on the depth chart develop a rapport and be on the same page with drew now that michael thomas is going to be coming back to the fold it's,
1: it's so huge uh, i mean i just go back to last year and really michael thomas is the only guy that drew Brees would throw to except maybe jared cook and alvin Kamara. Um, but he's certainly the only receiver he would throw to because he just didn't have the rapport and chemistry with other receivers And and I just want to go back to a a couple throws, Raymond, and and certainly Traquan Smith has come along also, and I think has good chemistry with Drew now. But you look at a back shoulder throw against the Lions where Sanders is covered pretty perfectly, but Drew puts the ball in a spot where only Sanders can go get it, and Sanders knows it's coming. He knows exactly how to contort his body at the perfect moment, and he makes that catch. And then I want to take you back to that Chargers game uh, where – it's initially ruled, It's initially ruled a touchdown, you know, and then he get, ends up getting overturned at the half-yard line, and Drew has to sneak it in to get it in. But on that play, you see Drew Brees throw a ball that's low and away, and Sanders knows exactly where it's going to be coming. And, and the coverage is there, but Drew Brees gets the ball out so quickly, and it's low and away to where it, it, that ball is undefendable. No one can, can break that play up. And because Sanders knows it's coming, he gets down to his knees, he turns his body to make the catch low and away, and he rolls into the end zone. And you see that? That's not, that's not a missed throw by Breeze. Breeze has made a career out of throwing guys open by pinpoint location, and, and that just takes time and work. It, it, the thing about Breeze is he's not the kind of quarterback that sees a guy wide open and then makes the ridiculous throw. He, because, you know, he has to win with timing – and accuracy, he needs work. And this is why he's been so great with Michael Thomas, because Michael Thomas is a tireless worker, completely obsessed with football. You know, hey, Drew, want to spend an hour after practice working on our routes and ball locations? And they do that together, and that's why they have that chemistry. As good as Michael Thomas is, why he catches 150 balls in a year and what makes him special is that he knows exactly where Drew Brees is going to put it, and he knows where to go get it, and he knows how to sell it with his body, to make it, make it impossible for the defender to stop it. And those are the nuances, those are the attention to details that make you go from just a good NFL player to great. And I think you're starting to see that chemistry now with Emmanuel Sanders and Drew Brees. And you just, again, going back to the Chargers game, look at the one interception that Drew Brees throws. He's trying to throw deep to Callaway. Callaway's an undrafted rookie, hasn't had a lot of time. You know, and, and it's easy to say awful throw by Drew, but if you go back and watch the tape, it almost looks like Callaway rounds off his route as opposed to going where Drew is expecting him to go. And so it looks like a terrible interception. You know, Benny Fowler, a number of throws to him. It looks like Breeze is short-arming him, but then you see Breeze quickly go over to Fowler and say, look, I was trying to b- throw the ball over here. You've got to be in this spot to go catch that so that it's a safe throw and we complete it. And so I just look at guys like Fowler and Callaway who were forced to play in that game. Breeze is expecting them to be in a certain spot, and they're just not there because they haven't had enough time. And so I just think now you're starting to see Traquan Smith and Sanders have that time. If Michael Thomas comes back, it then pushes some of these inexperienced guys down the ladder, and I just think then you're in a situation where you have three or four receivers that know exactly where they're supposed to be.
0: Can we talk about Taysom Hill? Because it's 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 become a polarizing topic with this team. Is does opposing defenses know exactly what's going to happen with him when he enters the game? And is Sean Payton relying on him just as simply as a Wildcat quarterback runner? And if that's the case, why not utilize him in the passing game? Because he became very effective last year. Had like twenty catches lining up at tight end or wide receiver or, or whatever are they using Taysom the right way and do they need to change how they use him?
1: well he's playing a lot of tight end. I mean, he, he played a ton of tight end against the chargers had a lot of great blocking moments and then uh you know the two plays where they try to throw to him the, the third was the crossing route uh, the first was the crossing route where he drops it uh and the next one i don't know if you'll remember this play but he's uh at the one yard line and he tries to get off the line of scrimmage and yeah. a Chargers player pulls a face mask down and there's no flag. You know? Should have been called <laughs> Yeah, should have been called. But so they're they're trying to get him involved. I, I and they've called passing play for Taysom Hill. You know, there's been a few times now where he's had the pass run option and he's run every time. And and, and the, the two times he's thrown the ball it hasn't really been that great. So I I think with Taysom it's actually less about the play calls and more about the player. He's fumbled a couple times now, and I think he's in his own head. I think he's just lacking confidence. I think you have a limited number of snaps. You know, where you're touching the ball through Taysom Hill maybe four to seven times a game. And, you know, if you go a couple weeks only touching the ball four times and one of those four plays is a fumble, and that happens two weeks in a row, I just think he looks like a guy that's totally gun-shy. And he doesn't get enough touches to really be in a rhythm where he has full confidence in himself. So, you know, I, I think, I do think it's it's pretty predictable. And I, I think ultimately he's going to need to throw the ball more. When, when the Saints call these pass run options, I want to see him throw the ball down the field because that's what's going to keep a defense honest. I think it's predictable because he's not throwing the football enough. I and mean, I think if he throws the ball more, then you'll start to see safeties maybe not crowd the box so much, and that will create more running lanes for him. So as much as I want to criticize Sean Payton for the play calling, and I think to some degree it's gone stale, and it's not, it's just not working like it did last year. I think that's totally fair. I think some blame falls on the player, and I, I just think he needs to step it up, and I think he's just kind of in a slump and lacking confidence right now.
0: Taysom, I agree with you there. He seems to be in his own head. That's a fair comparison. I tell you who's not in their own heads, that's Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. That running game looks phenomenal. Of course, yeah. I always get frustrated with Sean, feeling like he should run the ball more, especially with how good those two guys run the ball, and and just and in this offensive line. I've said this before on the air. This offensive line is better at run blocking than it is at pass protecting, and uh, it, it just it just is starting to show, especially in the last couple of years. Do you think with Drew and his skill set right now? And how good these running backs are? Do you think we're going to see Sean Payton rely a little bit more on the running game as this team looks to get itself a fourth straight NFC South championship and make a run in the postseason?
1: Well, in some ways, Raymond, I actually have to commend Sean Payton for running the ball as much as he did. Because remember, in that Lions game, they were down fourteen nothing, and in yep. the Chargers game, they were down twenty to three, and and so the amount that the Saints were able to continue running despite that. I mean, first of all, it's a big reason they came back, right, because they were very successful doing it. Uh, but but I I was actually pleasantly surprised to not see Sean Payton get really stubborn and say, okay, well, we're throwing every play. So that would have been a mistake, and I, they would have lost those games. But I I mean, I just can't help but think if this team can, can get a 10 nothing lead to start a game, if they can just flip the script, then I think you're going to see them run the football a ton. And I, I go back to when Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees were both out last year, and the Saints go to Chicago, and they say, you know what, Teddy Bridgewater's at court, we're, we're just going to hand a ball off 25 times with to Latavius Murray. That's our game plan because we don't believe the Bears front can stop the run, and we don't want to get in a game where Khalil Mack is sitting on top of Teddy Bridgewater for the whole game. So – that's what they did. They handed the ball off to Latavius Murray, and I can't remember exactly, but I, I want to say he had like 148 yards rushing or something, uh, you know, kind of in the 150 range, and he was incredible in that game. And I've I, I remembered that game fondly ever since, Raymond, and it kind of goes to what you're saying. like, At what point do the Saints just become a power running football team because Kamara and Murray are just that good? Um, and on some level it's just not in Sean Payton's DNA. I think he's an aggressive coach that Likes to use dynamic passing, and when you have Drew Brees at quarterback, you want to take advantage of that. Um, but and, and I, I accept that on some level. Uh, but if you could see the Saints kind of turn the dial, maybe 10 percent more. Uh, now it's gonna it's gonna require starting games better than they have been. You know, again, I, I think that's critical. You want to see them run the ball more; they have to start better. I mean, that that just has to happen. But I firmly believe that. If if this team wants to go far, they're going to have to lean on their running game because it's probably the best strength on the team right now.
0: All right, Andrew, let's go quickly to the other side of the football. I said it on the air. I thought Malcolm Jenkins was going to make a huge difference on this team's defense because now you would have a leader on all three levels of the defense. You already had Cam on the line. You had Demario Davis who's one of the best leaders and a guy that, hell, when I talk to him, I've had him on my show, I want to run through a wall for him. And then you bring in Jenkins, and we know how socially active he is for uh, justice issues, but I thought, this is a guy, he's been there, he's done it. He's won two Super Bowls, he's coming back to the Saints. And you know what? He's going to mentor Marcus Williams and P.J. Williams, and he's going to help make them better. He's going to make Marshawn Lattimore better. Through five games, brother, I, I hate to say it, Boy, it, it doesn't look like that's happened. And it doesn't look like Jenkins is the same player that he was. He looks like he's lost a little bit of a step to it. it, it, it am, am I jumping to conclusions too much just after five games? Or does it look like it's been a downgrade from Vaughn Bell to Malcolm Jenkins?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think with Malcolm Jenkins, first of all, I, I, have, I, I have seen moments from him. So I'm not ready to conclude... That he's done, or that he's washed, or that he just he just doesn't have it anymore, because he's made a number of impressive plays this season. Uh, you know, he's, he's been good blitzing off the edge, sack, he's had a sack, came close to coming up with a huge interception, drops it. Um, you know, he, tackling wise, I mean, he, he's lit some guys up. So there, there's been Malcolm Jenkins moments, um, and I'm not talking about Malcolm Jenkins when he used to be on the Saints. I'm talking about Malcolm Jenkins in his prime with the Eagles. There's been those moments, and then there's also been moments where, you know, I mean, obviously <laughs> we could go back to the Raiders game where Darren Waller just completely embarrassed them, um, and, and, you know, just the, he's gotten flags and he's given up touchdowns, so there, there's been some other moments that are poor, uh, but I'm with you. I think a reason to bring him in is – elevate maybe the players around him and that certainly hasn't happened because the level of play of the secondary has dropped significantly uh, I did think it was um, interesting that in overtime the Saints sent one captain out uh, to do the coin toss and it was Malcolm Jenkins um, so that, that was the guy that went out there And so on some level I, I do still think this team inside the building they love him you know, they really respect him and the, his teammates love him And so I I do think he has the ear and the respect of the locker room. And he had a great interview on CBS radio uh, this week where he was asked about Michael Thomas in that situation. And I thought he gave the picture perfect answer that held Michael Thomas accountable to his actions, but also lifted up his teammate and, and made sure to communicate that, Hey, he's our guy. We love him. We're counting on him. And so that was a good leadership moment for him. So, my thing, Raymond, right now is it's kind of a mixed bag for Malcolm Jenkins, both on and off the field. You know, I, I'm just not seeing what I hope for at all times, but I'm seeing enough signs of positivity that make me hopeful. Um, I think ultimately I go back to why did the Saints sign Malcolm Jenkins and why did they sign Emmanuel Sanders? If you look at their playoff exits the last three years, they've lost on soul-crushing plays, you know, walk-off plays the last three years, and I just go back to when you look at Emmanuel Sanders' pedigree, the number of Super Bowls he's won with different teams, Malcolm Jenkins has won a Super Bowl, those guys know how to play when the stakes are the highest, and those guys know how to win these playoff games by making one play when the season's on the line, and I just think the way the Saints have exited the playoffs the last three years, they're counting on those two elevate the teammates around them in those moments, because that's kind of the stumbling block that has been in front of the Saints the last three years, and they're counting on Jenkins and Sanders to get them over that hump. And so I think the ultimate test for Malcolm Jenkins is not in the here and now. I'm satisfied to at least see, like I said, moments of it, although it's been very inconsistent, But I think whether or not this is a good signing will ultimately be dictated by the plays that he makes and the plays that his teammates make in the most important moments because that's why he was brought back into the building.
0: Andrew, one more question on the defense. Heading into the season, we thought the defensive line would be one of the bigger strengths of this team. But Cam, as you pointed out, has not played up to his level. Neither really has Sheldon Rankins and Davenport. Hasn't even been barely on the field. Is that just as much of a concern to you as the secondary?
1: Well, honestly, if you had asked me that a week ago, uh, I would have said, I don't see how the Saints can win games with them playing like this. I don't see how they can come anywhere close to meeting their goals and expectations uh, with, with this level of play. Uh, you know, Jordan was, has been mostly invisible through the four, first four games. Rankins has been even more invisible than that. And Davenport has been most invisible of all because he hasn't been on, even on the field. So, you know, I, I would say my, my level of panic was, was at a 10 um, pre-prior to the Chargers game. Now, you know, you want to take this with a grain of salt because the Chargers, they were missing three starters. And their offensive line is, is as bad as it gets right now in the league. Uh, but that said, Cam Jordan led the team with 10 tackles. He was a menace. All day in the backfield. He's finally starting to look like the Cam Jordan that we remember. That's encouraging. Uh, Rankins has five tackles, two tackles for a loss. He has a sack in that game. He was very disruptive in the backfield. That was the first time that I really saw that quickness of his first step, being able to get in the backfield and be so disruptive. And I really haven't seen a game like that from him in two years. Um, So that was really encouraging. And then, you know, Marcus Davenport, I mean, he didn't play a ton, but he he was disruptive too, and you saw his athleticism, and he was able to get a couple good hits on Herbert. So I think in totality, if you look at that game, again, you've got to consider what they were up against, which is a very beat-up, poor offensive line in the Chargers. But that showed me at least enough to have hope. Uh, So whereas before the Chargers game, I was in a state of panic, I'm now hoping that this bye week gives them a little time to heal, that it's given them a little bit of confidence based on they're going in the bye week with, with a tremendous performance. And I would say that was by far the best game for the defensive line all season. And oh, by the way, Trey Hendrickson has kind of come out of nowhere and has been one of the most pleasant surprises of this team. He has four and a half sacks through five weeks, and uh, he's the one guy that's really stepped up and played maybe even above his level. Uh, during the absence of Davenport. And so I, I'm i hopeful, I'm very hopeful that they've finally turned a corner and we're going to see another side. So, you know, I, I feel a little bit differently about the defensive line now than I did a week ago.
0: All right, bud. Bye week's going to wrap up, and then they got an interesting three-game stretch. The schedule actually is favorable towards the back end because teams that we thought were going to be legit contenders, the 49ers, and the Eagles uh, look yeah. to be some of the worst teams in the league. The Niners have been hit, uh, plagued by the injury bug and a little bit of the Super Bowl hangover, injuries and just some just bad play uh, is kind of doomed the Eagles. So the schedule yeah. favors the Falcon, Saints. Falcons look like uh, Right. So th- there, there's yeah. easy wins ahead down the road, but that three game stretch coming up is key for me for the Saints. At home against Teddy Two Gloves, who's coming off a 300-yard performance himself. He's starting to click with his uh, play caller, uh, Joe Brady. And then after that, it's on the road at the Bears, who have an awful offense, but that defense is absolutely salty. And then at Tampa Bay with the rematch with uh, the Golden Boy. How key will that three-game stretch be for the Saints if they want to reclaim the division championship and make another run?
1: Raven that uh, that comment, the Golden Boy, that that, that sounded a little tongue
0: in cheek. Uh, <laughs> well you know, you know little, well you know, Andrew, because I heard all offseason that, you know, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Oh, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a Super Bowl contender. You know they're going to win the division, they're gonna win the NFC. Everyone penciled them in as if it was, you know, it just I just uh, i I just hate all that it just frustrates me to no end You hear it every year. There's always a team that the national people all get over and like this team's gonna go to the Super Bowl and they end up going seven and nine or you know eight and eight uh, sorry i'm not I have not been wild by Tampa so far this year. They got a great front seven, but I have not been wild by the Buccaneers, so yes, it was a little well, tongue in cheek
1: it's it, It's just nice that for a change that Tony Brady has to play in in a real division that's not <laughs>
0: full
1: not not full of children, you know. <laughs> Uh, The Jets. (laughs) Yeah, the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins. He's had 15 years. of. He's like, wait a minute, I don't understand. These other teams just don't roll over and let us win all our games. Um, So, anyway, it's nice for him to be tested. But, listen, I I think these next three games, and I said this on your show, I I think it's a fork in the road for the team. Um, I I think we're going to learn a lot about the Saints over this three-game stretch because Chicago – I, I think they're a very vulnerable and beatable team, but they're playing for a lot uh, because of their record right now. That's the thing. When, when a team is good based on their record, even if they're maybe not as good as their record indicates, then the stakes are higher, and so you get a, a, a better effort from them. And I, I just think the Bears are going to come ready to play, and uh, you know, obviously they're not playing great at the quarterback position, which is a huge help for the Saints, and Carolina's trending upwards. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has played amazing even without Christian McCaffrey, uh, and like you said, the, the Joe Brady experiment. I wasn't so sure about how that was going to work out, but at least so far, it's working. And um, you know, obviously Tampa. A lot of people felt at the beginning of the year like this, this was a, between them and the Saints to win the division, and so far they're both three and two, right there at the top. So uh, I I think the Saints look. They've had a lot of injuries. they've had a lot of banged up players. Uh, even Lattimore, I would say, who played against the Chargers, to me, his hamstring did not seem right in that game. So I think you would just look at hopefully getting Janoris Jenkins back, you know, Lattimore closer to 100%, get Michael Thomas back, get the offensive line at 100%. I just think if the Saints can get healthy here through this bye week and really come to Carolina, and again, you want to be able to run the football, but you also want to start a game better than they have been I just think that's so critical they can't run the ball if they're down two scores and so at least not the way they want to and so I think it, it's critical for the Saints to come out play well and I'm not even looking three games ahead I, I'm, I'm really curious about the Carolina game I really think if they go three and three lose to Teddy Bridgewater I, I think there could be finger pointing because all of a sudden Carolina's in first place ahead of the Saints and you know I, I just I could see players on the team saying, especially if Drew plays terribly or Michael Thomas plays terribly, that point the fingers at Drew and say, maybe we should have kept Teddy. And they point the finger at Michael Thomas for putting the team in disarray. And I could see it going off the rails pretty quickly. Whereas I think if they come out strong, look great, win that game and go forward to, then I think it's tunnel vision. And it's like, hey, we've got bigger things to play for. We're going to put our differences aside. And, Um, So I I think it'll be huge, and I I think this is a stretch where really they can't afford to go any less than 2-1. and All right,
0: brother, we'll get you out of here with this. Mayor Cantrell and the Saints are not on the same page when it comes to fans and attendance, and this drama has kind of unfolded in the public realm where she denied the appeal for them to have fans in the Superdome for the Monday night football game. Then reports come out that the Saints – are openly talking with LSU and the city of Baton Rouge to host uh, their home games there so they can have fans and attendance. And there's also questions, can the mayor actually do this and restrict what the Saints do with their fans when it's an order from the governor to be 25% capacity? Lots of back and forth. She came out earlier this week and said, you know what? It's probably the best idea for you guys to play in Baton Rouge. So my question to you is this. Are we really going to be playing Saints home games in Tiger Stadium when there's not a major hurricane that devastated New Orleans? It's already devastated Louisiana, thanks to Laura and Delta, but not New Orleans. Are we really going to have that this year?
1: It's starting to look like that. You know, at first I really thought it was just political posturing and an effort to uh, bluff and and just get some fans in in the dome. You know, and I think that's still, the Saints have made it clear, that's still our first choice. Uh, But – it's just such a frustrating situation because I, I firmly believe, Raymond, and the science supports this, that if you social distance and you make masks mandatory and you figure out a way in terms of entry into the stadium to not have a logjam where, you know, that's, that's probably where people would be most, most at risk is, is if there's a cluster of people in close, close proximity. Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, but I just know there's a way to do this. You know, my, my kids, they go to school and they're, they're masked up every day, and their teachers are masked up every day, and they socially distance, and and uh, and no one's gotten it yet. You know, knock on wood, but it, it's a situation that's worked. So there, there is a proven way to do this that can work uh, without having kind of the super spreader thing. And I, I just don't get it. I don't know if it's that she's worried about mask enforcement. I don't know. I, New Orleans is doing a reasonable job with cases. I mean, you look at some of these cities that are hosting fans, and from a case count, it's much, much worse than New Orleans. So, you know, I don't envy uh, American Cantrell. I mean, it's, it's a tough position to be in. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, they hold Mardi Gras. New Orleans w- was severely criticized nationwide uh, for allowing Mardi Gras to happen, and as we know, um, that's when the case count was kind of the highest in New Orleans, and the hospitals were over-flooded, and I'm sure – she remembers that in descriptive detail and, and kind of that experience, and she doesn't want that to happen again, and I don't blame her. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, I sympathize in the sense that it's, it's difficult to make these decisions, but I, I just can't help but feel like, is there really that big of a difference with, them, with fans going to Tiger Stadium versus in the Superdome? And there, there's, again, there's scientific evidence that there's not a huge difference between an indoor and an outdoor stadium based on the size um so i i just i go back to is there really that big of a difference and if there's not can't we just have this in the superdome so i i do think we're probably going to see them play at tiger stadium uh and i lament that Uh, i think it's a huge bummer um and uh quite frankly just kind of uh look at this whole situation it has been tough on everyone all year but we're just looking for any semblance of a chance to get back to normalcy, right? And I think we feel that at all levels and all facets of life. And if the Saints are going to play a game with fans, uh, the fact that it would be in Tiger Stadium instead of in the Superdome just, just feels like another huge disappointment.
0: Well, brother, this wasn't a disappointment, though, talking to you here on the Rap Game podcast, my friend. <laughs> it was it was good stuff. And look, maybe, maybe you needed this – More than the people listening did. Maybe you needed more of this to, to, you know, to hop on the podcast with yours truly. And that'll make you uh, feel refreshed to uh, do the new episode with your boy Ralph on the Saints Happy Hour podcast. And uh, maybe it'll make you uh, remember just why you guys, you know, came together, bonded, you know, all that love between you two for the podcast.
1: Well, now that I know what a real podcast feels like, I know what we can aspire to. So I can go back to Ralph and say, "Look, this is what you should be more like, Raymond."
0: Um, oh, so. uh, I said no one ever. Said no one ever. By the way, <laughs> by the way. Uh,
1: listen, man, this is a lot of fun, and uh, I'm happy to come back on anytime. Uh, but uh, no, I'm a big fan of your show, of course, and I always enjoy doing that too. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's going to be a really interesting rest of the season here. Saints at three and two. There's so much left to play for. There's already been a lot of drama, and listen, this is the entertainment business. I'm entertained. You know, the Saints have been, for better or for worse, very entertaining so far this year, and I just think, you know, that that's the first chapter of this book of, of this season. And when you think about COVID and and all the things that have transpired already, uh, I can't wait for how the rest of the story plays out.
0: Andrew, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy uh, your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Raymond. If you have the opportunity, make sure to check out Ralph and Andrew's podcast as well, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. It is hilarious. And if you're a diehard Saints fan, you should check them out. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Until next time, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. I'm out.